Hello, and welcome to League of Josh podcast. My name is Joshua, and I am your host. Today's episode was recorded on May 21st, 2021. My guest today is Brett Henderson. Brett has spent a considerable amount of time on the Canadian East Coast at Dalhousie University, earning a bachelor's degree in biochemistry, molecular biology, microbiology, and immunology. This endeavor in itself would have taken me 10 years and cost every ounce of mental health that I possess. This wasn't enough for Brett, as she returned to attain her master's degree in business administration and is now entering her first year of medical school. Alongside all of this, Brett spends a considerable amount of time and energy volunteering for organizations such as Jack.org and MedLife, the latter of which will be the linchpin of our conversation. We discuss her experiences with MedLife, how she got into the organization, and why she continues to do what she does. And for anyone wondering why Brett does what Brett does, I'll direct you to an excerpt shamelessly modified from South Park. Brett Henderson does not do what Brett Henderson does for Brett Henderson. Brett Henderson does what Brett Henderson does because Brett Henderson is Brett Henderson. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a nice day. So I'm sitting here today with Brett Henderson, who has a double major in molecular, molecular biology and biochemistry. Did I get mm -hmm. that right? Also, yeah, microbiology and immunology. It's like a four-part double major. Wow, that's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> and then a master's in business administration. Yes, yes, and an MBA. you are now getting ready to become a medical doctor at the Dalhousie School of Medicine. Yes, I start medical school in three months. Very cool. So one of the main things that I'd like to talk to you today is about MedLife and your involvement with that and where that came from, where that's going. And I guess uh, looking at it as well through a lens of COVID, and I'd like to talk about kind of your experience before COVID and now with COVID and the food shortages in foreign countries. So, Of course. So I'll give you, I guess, give everyone a little rundown kind of on what MedLife is and how I got involved. So MedLife is a nonprofit organization uh, that was founded by a physician down in the States. So essentially MedLife works to bring medicine, education, and development to low-income families everywhere. So the acronym MedLife stands for exactly that. So essentially, this physician, Dr. Nick Ellis, founded this um, organization after traveling down to South America and seeing kind of the inequity that exists with healthcare and education and just general infrastructure and equality kind of in rural versus urban centers, specifically in South America. And he kind of saw those issues that were existing in these areas and he wanted to impact it positively from his own side of things so he started medlife and medlife will i guess operates directly out of peru now the hq is down in peru and essentially what medlife does is finds local communities to partner with in rural areas sometimes in urban areas like in lima for example a bunch of the outskirts of the main city center which is still part of the city um, live in just really, really horrible conditions, absolutely terrible for health, terrible for education. All these components just aren't supportive of a healthy lifestyle. So MedLife what, will- what, Sorry, what factors tend to play a role in that? So a big part of it in Peru specifically, because that is kind of the main focus of MedLife, they do operate all over South America and in some areas of Africa, but in Peru specifically, um, the geography in Lima is pretty complex. So Lima is the capital city of Peru, and in this central city, it's 
relatively developed, I guess it's hard to compare it being in Canada. It's not the same kind of infrastructure, but it's relatively developed and they have a lot of businesses and a ton of just general infrastructure that really supports a lot of lifestyles for individuals, healthy life. However, in Lima, it's kind of set up so that the city center is in a valley kind of along the coast almost. And then there's crazy mountain ranges outside of the city. And a lot of these rural areas are built directly on these essentially 75 degree slopes. It's absolutely wild and it's all rocks. So it's not even like it's nice grass and they can dig into the soft grass and kind of set up stairs because it's mountain ranges in the Andes. So it makes it really challenging for them to kind of build these lifestyles in this mountainous terrain combined with decades and hundreds of years of centuries just of indigenous not exploitation but similar to so many nations across the world there are indigenous cultures that have been negatively impacted by colonization uh, peru was specifically impacted back in the conquistador era kind of when spain came in and influenced that area quite a bit and a lot of these indigenous cultures were left on these rural areas on the outskirts of town to kind of facilitate their own lives and as a result they didn't have the infrastructure they didn't have the financial capital even the social capital to kind of make their lives a little bit better and this has extended through generations so now medlife is trying to combat that and offer them medicine and education and a safe home when available kind of through their mobile clinic system and what means does medlife use to make that happen so like I mentioned, MedLife is a non-for-profit organization. So essentially what MedLife does is work primarily with volunteers. So yes, there is kind of a general staff that kind of keeps the organization running, but it's volunteers like me who play a large role in their mobile clinic and their fundraising components. So I actually only learned just recently, 95% um, of MedLife's revenue comes from volunteer fundraising and volunteer fees. So with MedLife, I've had the opportunity to travel to both Peru and Ecuador to volunteer in the mo their mobile clinics with local doctors, local dentists, local nurses, pharmacists, kind of all the healthcare team, uh, volunteers locally to support kind of that community culture and tradition and not impose any beliefs from other nations or kind of make people uncomfortable. It really encourages that similar culture with doctors who speak the same language, whatever dialect of Spanish, I guess it would be in Peru, but Quechua is an indigenous uh, language. And so a lot of physicians who volunteer speak both Spanish and Quechua. So they're able to communicate directly with the patients and make them feel more at home. So as a volunteer, I go down and essentially assist in these clinics. But I'm gonna say it's really important that MedLife kind of recognizes that I, as a 25 year old female from Canada with next to no medical experience, uh, should not be performing any medical procedures that I couldn't do on individuals here. So with COVID right now, you see people volunteering in rapid clinic sites. I know in Halifax, where I'm from, it's a big, big situation where everyone's able to go get a rapid test done every couple of days, make sure you're negative. So you're kind of keeping those around you safe, but they have volunteers from all different facets, all different industries, all different backgrounds who are able to triage and take your information, write down your phone number, your name, whatever they need. So as a volunteer with MedLife, I'm able to do similar 
duties, similar activities in these clinics. So I'll be able to take someone's height and weight and then direct them to the nurse who will kind of figure out where they would fit into this mobile clinic if they need to see a dentist or a physician or go to the pharmacist or I can teach kids to brush their teeth. I've been brushing my teeth myself probably for 23 years. I don't know when I when my parents stopped helping me, uh, but I have some experience with that. So that's something I can help kids with and kind of proactively target um, any dental issues in the future and kind of just educate them on their health a little bit more. Again, there is a language barrier, but MedLife staff and volunteers are provided with some basic Spanish phrases that can help kind of facilitate a conversation. And a lot of it comes through charades and actions to communicate with these kids on how to brush your teeth and don't close your mouth yet or keep it open or whatever it is. Having those conversations a little bit more with body language is super beneficial. Cerveza, por favor. You say that, but I speak next to no Spanish. And I know that tongue is lingue. Lingue? Language. That's, I think, all I know. No. Mm-hmm. Lingua? Tongue. A tongue. Yeah, I because I know from teaching kids to brush their teeth, that's a bizarre one-word phrase that I remember from four years ago. Um, but luckily, all of the MedLife staff is there to act as translators, so there's no kind of pressure on volunteers to understand everything that's going on. And you're never put in a position where you have to have a conversation with a patient that's life or death. Essentially, doctor has the conversation, then you get to sit and listen to a translator and kind of understand the healthcare issues. Um, so that's kind of been my experience. So I've been involved with the Dalhousie Society or chapter as a volunteer. Um, I've been the chapter president for, I think, two years. I just gave up that leadership role um, and handed it off to the executive board. I'll stay on as a general member. Uh, But with medical school being a little bit more demanding um, than my past education, I think that it'll be nice to focus on school for a bit, stay on as a general member and kind of help out where I can, but not kind of be responsible for everything within the Dalhousie chapter for a while. So it'll be a nice break, I think, but excited to stay on for a little while longer. I can imagine that would be a significant amount of responsibility. How were you able to get involved with MedLife initially? So I, I'm trying to think, it was about seven years ago, I um, was out at a society chapter fair kind of for my uh, university. So in the quad every year, they set up all the different societies, all the different clubs you can join, whether that's the salsa club or the biochemistry society or whatever it is. And MedLife had a little table there. And some of the volunteers were talking about how they were just trying to get this chapter up and running and trying to get involved with this great organization. And they had support to get a chapter started. And I joined, I guess I was my second year of university and then went on a trip to Ecuador, I guess about seven months later. So it was a pretty quick turnaround that I had the opportunity to travel, which hasn't exactly been the case for members who have joined more recently with COVID and all the travel restrictions that are in place. Right. What do you think we're... So that's something... Sorry. Oh, go I... ahead. <laughs> we have a bit of a leg, so I, I hope that we don't... I, I hope that I don't interrupt you too much. Um, I was going to ask what your personal experience was with the travel to Ecuador, kind of what you learned and what you learned about the culture. And I think you make an interesting point about maneuvering around the health practices and the cultural practices of indigenous populations. And especially when you go to a foreign country and you're 
pulling out things that I'm sure that they've never seen before. So that must be interesting for them and interesting for you as well. Yeah. So it's, it was definitely a very eye-opening experience. So I went, I guess I would have been 20 years old when I went on my first service learning trip with MedLife, which is what kind of these volunteer trips are called. So I went to Ecuador my first year and it was the first time I really traveled. I hadn't been outside of Canada except down to the States for a couple of volleyball tournaments or to Cuba with my family for a vacation. So it was really my first experience traveling on my own and traveling with like-minded volunteers who all wanted to have that positive impact kind of on communities outside of our own. And the first thing I remember thinking was how naive I was up until that point. And I remember thinking, yeah, I'm 20 and I've been in university for two years and I moved across Canada when I was 18 and I know what I'm doing. This will be fine. This will be a great experience. And just even traveling to our first hostel and kind of waiting at the airport to catch a shuttle with MedLife staff. So this wasn't even alone. It was, we walked into the airport and we were directed to where we were going. It was not independent at, at all. It was extremely facilitated and organized. And I was still, even something as simple or not, if it's disrespectful to tip a server or if it's disrespectful not to tip a server, whatever it is. Um, so I found that really, really challenging to see um, and try and understand and kind of navigate my way around. And I found that the biggest kind of experience that changed my view on medicine and healthcare in general um, was traveling out to communities outside of the city center. So I went to a rural area of Ecuador, a relatively large city, but again, not quite as developed as what I was used to. And we stayed in a hostel there. It was exactly what you picture it to be. It's a South American hostel. There was lots of great food and friendly people and uh, just a different environment than I was used to, not speaking the language and not knowing the other volunteers. We all slept in bug beds in a hostel with 30 people in one room, whatever it was. And I found that at first, I thought, yeah, this is exactly what I pictured. This is what I thought all of South America would be like. This is what I watched YouTube videos on and I was prepared for. And then that first clinic day, we drove out of the city for about three hours. We hopped on a bus and went out to a mobile clinic, which is where MedLife sets up tents and brings physicians and pharmacists and dentists in to see the local community. And it was out in the Andes Mountains and it was freezing cold and there were individuals wearing uh, traditional cultural dress and no one even spoke Spanish. So my limited two sentences I knew wasn't even within the realm of understanding because they all spoke a separate dialect that I wasn't familiar with. And very few of the volunteers were familiar with, even those who spoke fluent Spanish, because the dialect was just that different. And it was just completely eye-opening. And to see the different ways people live and understand that healthcare to me, I think about it, yep, yeah, oh, maybe I sprained my ankle, I need to go into the doctor and get an x-ray. In Canada, it's extremely easy just to pop into a walk-in clinic, get a referral, go get an x-ray. It's not going to impact the money I have for rent, it's not going to impact my parents' salaries, it's not gonna change anything, it's pretty much covered. And it may take a little while, but it's not the end of the world. If I have a minor ailment, I can get it dealt with. And if it's major, 
I can get into a hospital sooner. Whereas in South America, Ecuador and Peru, that's not always the case. So I saw patients come in who hadn't seen doctors for over a decade, who had been dealing with chronic illnesses that they haven't had the option to treat. And MedLife always talks about one specific story where there are multiple of these organizations that have this mobile clinic system that go down and help communities and provide healthcare and education and whatever they can to help. Um, but there's a story about a young boy who came and had a broken arm. So one of these other organizations had the volunteers, the doctors come in, whatever it was, and put a cast on his arm. Very helpful, let it set, treat it the way that they could. And then five years later, they came back to the community and he still had a cast on his arm because there was no follow-up care. There was no option for him to have it removed. And it was just seeing the intent to help and helping in a sustainable manner that really aids the community is a completely different approach. So MedLife really focuses on that sustainable proactive approach. So they have follow-up for all their communities. So there were patients who came in who had seen MedLife a year before or six months before and needed a prescription refill or needed new advice on whatever ailment they were facing, whatever it was, or they were familiar with the MedLife logo and so they weren't terrified to come in and work with these volunteers. And seeing the hesitation in some people was very difficult. Seeing how scared people were to see a doctor, to see a dentist was very challenging to look at because the healthcare system to me has always been kind of a saving grace. It's just wonderful to have available. Whereas these individuals are terrified to even talk with a nurse about a headache they've had or whatever it is. But then you saw a family, you saw a mom come in with her three kids, doctor who had seen a nurse or a dentist or an OBGYN, whatever it was, and just was so grateful for the support. And you would see the community leader who worked with MedLife to facilitate the clinic in this area. And there was just so much hope and gratitude in their faces that it made everything we're doing feel worth it. It felt like we were having an impact instead of just intruding on these communities, which was really, really reassuring to see. And it was a big part of why I stayed on with MedLife was to see the long-term impact that MedLife has had on these different communities all over South America and Africa as well. Have you been able to go back within the communities and see the lasting impact that you've had personally? Or do you only go to one community and then you go to another community? Or are you able to continuously repeat visits? So that's something that um, I actually recently had a discussion with a midlife representative about on how they choose which communities to partner with. And I remember as a kid watching a show, I think it was called extreme home makeover. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. HPTV? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. exactly. And I remember saying to my mom, mom, I know they're giving this family this great house, but it seems so expensive. I was, I don't know, maybe 13 years old. I don't remember. And I said, it seems so expensive. Wouldn't it be better if they have a more lasting positive impact rather than giving this one family a $2 million house, wouldn't it be better to give four families that $500,000 house? And she kind of said a big part of it was just raising awareness and kind of 
making people aware that communities and families face different challenges. And it was more of a television special than kind of that non-for-profit lifestyle and uh, business model. Um, but MedLife actually makes a very conscious decision on which communities they partner with, rather than taking on thousands upon thousands of communities and saying, yep, we'll come here one day and never see you again. We'll come there one day and never see you again. They build this lasting long-term relationship with communities so that they can fulfill the needs as time goes on. So they find community leaders who are looking to make that change and who are willing to implement the changes that MedLife encourages and have physicians and nurses come into the community because some communities aren't comfortable with having medical professionals come in and intrude on the community or kind of just force their beliefs or whatever it is. And it's not that physicians are meaning to do that, but there is hesitation from a lot of communities. So MedLife makes sure to find communities who are willing to have that healthcare professional come in and kind of educate them and provide healthcare rather than just saying, okay, well, yep, you seem sick. Here's a bunch of meds for the whole community do with it as you please. So MedLife really makes sure that it's kind of that educational aspect as well as the healthcare aspect um, and really focuses on development as a proactive solution. So a big part of what MedLife does is, um, I guess they call them development projects, infrastructure projects. And so like I mentioned a little while ago in Lima, these really, really steep hills that all these communities are living on, a big issue that people face is being unable to travel up and down between houses to get down to a doctor's office, to get food, to get water, whatever it is. So MedLife will come in and build staircases and kind of facilitate that process. So pregnant women who need to go down to the main city and see a doctor are able to walk their way down without falling and injuring themselves or injuring the child. Uh, individuals who need water are able to get it up to their house without slipping and falling and dropping everything, whatever it is. Uh, MedLife really tries to set up those proactive solutions. So with the communities, a lot of the communities that I went to, uh, MedLife has already worked with for a certain period of time. So we would drive up to the community and see the MedLife logo painted on a staircase. And they, the staircase is the same every time white steps with red kind of lines on it. So you know it's a MedLife staircase. And you just, you could see people, they recognized the MedLife logo, they saw the volunteers and they got excited about it. And you could see the houses that MedLife has built or the water tanks they've installed because the logo's there. So people are familiar with it. So even when I went, I guess five years ago, yeah, five years ago now, uh, you could see very clearly the impact that MedLife has had long-term. And even now, um, I haven't been on a trip, I guess, in four, three, four years now, whatever it is, a little while. Um, I still get updates from all the MedLife staff who I work with and the different chapter presidents to see the impact that they're having. And you can see different areas. Like I know one of the staircases built and they actually showed one of the staircases that I helped build. And it was just surreal to see that it's still having that positive impact on communities. So it's definitely possible to see the impact you're having long-term um, if you make the effort to kind of look into it rather than just go and then forget about it. Uh, to stay up to date with it is nice to see for sure. That's a very cool means of building rapport within a community. Yes, it's, it's wonderful. Have 
from a. I don't know well, if I froze. Oh, there we go. We're yeah. I think we're on we're on different times here. Um, have there been any attempts to collect longitudinal data on the communities that MedLife helps? And by that, do you mean kind of long-lasting impacts over, like, in specific areas, like in medicine, education, or just in general? Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to think of um, some kind of statistical analysis that you could do to actually determine the, the level of help within the communities. And I guess for that, you would also need a control of the communities that MedLife isn't involved in, which would be a lot more difficult to do. But I'm, I'm just trying to, trying to consider the lasting impact of non-for-profit organizations going down into such communities. Yeah, so I know something that we used to do, I, I'm sure MedLife still implements it because I can't imagine that they would stop. Um, but during the service learning trip, while you are um, on this clinic trip, during the day, you're in the clinic, you're helping, whatever it is. And then in the evening, there's always an educational or a debrief session. So at the end of the day, MedLife will calculate how many patients were seen, what the ailments were, how many people saw a doctor, how many people saw a nurse, how many educational sessions were delivered because while patients are waiting for treatment, they're educated on um, different components of healthcare that they can proactively control themselves. So like I mentioned, the toothbrushing station or um, having information on self-breast exams for females or different components of healthcare that people can kind of be aware of on their own. Um, MedLife really facilitated and as a result in the long term I know during that week at the end of the week you can see oh we saw this many patients and we saw this many follow-up patients from previous MedLife clinic trips whatever it is um, and provided this much medical care and this much education and this, this many stairs to a community whatever it is. So within that single trip you see the impact that you've had on a single community. And then I vividly remember MedLife saying, and this is just one of thousands of clinic trips that have been put on, thousands of communities impacted over and over by MedLife. And so I'm sure MedLife has the statistical data that says how many individuals they've helped and how their um, impact within each community is uh, compared with, I guess, the previous experiences of the community. So they could probably look at mortality rates and illness rates and other components in the communities before, um, if that data is available and then compare it to what they've done. Uh, but recently uh, MedLife has focused because of food insecurity in Peru uh, with COVID-19, they focused on uh, providing meals to communities. So I think as of, I wanna say two weeks ago, they were at 900,000 meals delivered to individuals in Peru and Ecuador. So I, I know that they're on the road to a million meals. I don't think they've hit the milestone thousand as of, I believe, as of two weeks ago, for sure. They hadn't hit a million yet. And I haven't seen anything super drastic on Instagram or kind of any of the Facebook pages recently. Uh, but I do believe that that is uh, statistical difference that they're really focusing on and the impact of COVID and how it's disproportionately affected these populations and how it, MedLife has been able to positively impact them as a result with kind of volunteer help, staff help, local help, whatever it is that's available. Very cool. Is there, 
so as a part of the education that MedLife provides for these communities, do you know if there's been any attempt to educate the local community on maybe how to farm locally or how to set up, I'm not sure, hydroponic systems? It's something that, so I, I do uh, some work for a non-for-profit in San Felipe, Mexico. And my goal at this point is to build a hydroponic system that they can run down there on solar panels because food short, not even food shortage, uh, the quality of the food is not very good. It's lots of processed foods, lots of Coca-Cola. And so my goal is to increase the nutrition available to the kids. So that's amazing. Yeah, I, there are a few different reasons that I well, so, so right now we're actually working on building tire homes for a community. It's called Casa Digna. And so we're trying to build tire homes for the mothers, like single mothers out there so that they can develop their own community. And then I'm looking to put together a hydroponic system for gardening because it's the middle of the desert. So well, it's not the middle of the desert. They're actually on the ocean, but it's in the desert. So it gets very hot and the water would go a lot further if it were running through a hydroponic system and not through a ground garden. And the reason that I want to do that is because there's been a vast amount of literature on the impacts of macro and micronutrients on the development of IQ. And so I'm looking at this as more of a 50 year mm -hmm. investment of slowly bringing this community up. And yeah, so that's, those are a few of the factors that I'm looking into and I'm wondering if MedLife is able to, or if they've been trying to implement something along those lines. So again, I'm, I'm a volunteer with MedLife, so I can't speak uh, for right. the organization yeah. themselves. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, um, so MedLife, like I mentioned way at the beginning, uh, focuses on three major pillars. So education, medicine, and development, or a safe home is kind of the three major focuses that MedLife has. Um, to my knowledge, um, Peru and Ecuador have fairly strong agricultural climates. Um, it is pretty arid land, but they do get by with uh, quite a bit of farming and quite a bit of agriculture. As far as I'm aware, I know that Peru has over 8,000 varieties of potatoes. And I know that because potatoes are my favorite food. Um, but there are options for uh, individuals in Peru to kind of have access to that food. A big issue with it though is the financial security. So can they afford the good quality food? Do they have access to it? And these Peruvian individuals um, primarily, many of the individuals in Peru primarily operate kind of on a day-to-day -day income basis. So for myself, yes, I have student debt. Yes, I'm not uh, financially wealthy, but I do have access to student loans. I do have a house over my head. I have, I, I'm not, never concerned about what I can get at the grocery store. Maybe I'm not buying lobster and steak every week and I'm buying things that are on sale, um, but kind of affording food is never a major issue for me. And if I didn't have a source of income for maybe three or four months, I would be okay. I could pay my rent, have some money in savings, I would get by. Individuals in Peru, in these rural areas, primarily rely on their day-to-day -day income. And a lot of it comes from tourism. So Machu Picchu is in Peru. It's a huge hiking destination for individuals. It's a big backpacking area. It's not overly expensive to travel and it's relatively safe in uh, uh, quite a few areas. So it is a big tourist destination. 
And as a result, a lot of Peruvians work kind of in markets or work in the tourist industry day to day where they're, the sweaters they're selling in the local market determines if they're eating for the next day. So as far as I'm concerned, it may not be an issue with uh, the nutritional um, content of the food. It's whether they can afford the nutritional content um, within that food. And obviously COVID has had a very negative impact on that. Um, Peru's had very serious lockdowns, um, but MedLife specifically uh, focuses more so on education around healthcare and development. So like I mentioned, having those educational sessions on things you can do at home and proper nutrition and brushing your teeth and proactively tackling those health problems um, rather than educating communities on agriculture or on career choices or um, whatever they may be struggling with financially. I know that MedLife tries to offer healthcare assistance and kind of aid the medical component um, and educate in that side of things and having a safe home rather than um, supporting the financial infrastructure. I know that MedLife does offer opportunities for um, work in local communities, things like that. Um, but I'm not familiar with MedLife kind of impacting any of like the agricultural decisions or um, structures that are currently in place. I know that they do assist with the job market when they can and provide opportunities for individuals to work with MedLife or work in soup kitchens, but often it's on a volunteer basis as the nonprofit organization that focuses on healthcare. So as far as I'm concerned, uh, the focus is more so on healthcare and healthcare education and that safe home and development infrastructure um, rather than kind of the agricultural or food security outside of MedLife's involvement. Um, however, do not quote me on that. Um, I can always ask if anyone's curious and look a little bit more into that. Uh, but as far as I'm concerned right now, it focuses more on the healthcare side of things. Well, that seems very reasonable. Thank you, Thank you for that answer. Um, to, to kind of bring things full circle, I'd like to know what the return journey was like for you coming back from Ecuador and Peru and returning back to a first world nation where we have all of the privileges that we could potentially ask for and more than that even. Yeah, um, it was definitely, like I mentioned before, eye-opening. It was, I was a 20, 21-year-old female who thought that I would be a doctor in three years and I'd be going to medical school and I'd be helping local populations. And I kind of had a skewed view of how equal the world was um, up until my trips. I thought that oh yeah, everyone could get into a, into a doctor if they need to, or everyone has access to clean drinking water or three meals a day. And I, I think that was just me being naive and it wasn't intentional. It was just, I'd never seen anything like that. And I've lived a very privileged life and never really struggled with food insecurity or inaccessibility to healthcare or infrastructure. And coming back to Canada, I remember sitting in the living room with my parents and just crying. I'm a very emotional person, but I was just beside myself at the inequity that exists in our world. And the fact that people are living in horrible conditions and there's nothing that I can do about it. 
is how it felt. It felt like I'm one single individual and there are billions of people in this world. There are billions of people living in poverty who are starving, who don't have access to basic needs, shelter, food, healthcare, whatever it is. There are kids not going to school. Meanwhile, I'm going on to my third post-secondary degree. I have a roof over my head. I bought an iced coffee this morning without thinking about it. And I just live a very different life than the lives I've seen. And I remember my mom saying, but you've taken the first step and you're educating yourself on what's going on in the world and you're doing what you can. You are one person. You can't change the world. But if you can influence four people to have a positive impact, to get involved with MedLife, to get involved with something you care about, something that has that positive effect on other communities, that's four times the impact you would have on your own. And so that kind of really set the tone for how I proceeded with MedLife and with other organizations and other volunteering positions that I'm involved with, kind of keeping in mind that, yes, I'm one person and I can do as much as I can, but it's only going to help if I can get other people involved and if they can have an impact as well. And from that point, that's kind of how I approach uh, volunteering positions or things that I'm passionate about is as great as I am and as motivated as I am to have these positive changes. Wouldn't it be great if I could convince 10 other people to get involved and have 10 times the impact or have 20 times the impact or as much of an impact as possible and just have those conversations and educate people. And that's kind of what fueled my desire to continue with MedLife was that it was great to go on one trip and see the inequity that exists and see the inequality within communities, but understanding that I can have more of a lasting impact by getting more people involved. So that's kind of how I see it now and how I try to continue uh, to see it as challenging as it is sometimes to be a little removed from those communities and not see it, I try and remember how I was feeling in the moment and kind of bring myself back to that when I'm feeling down or I'm feeling like I need to complain about things in my life. Oh, I don't have any flavored water today. My life is so hard. Or, oh, the pizza store was out of Hawaiian pizza. My life is really challenging. And then I think about kind of past impacts and it kind of just refocuses my opinion and my understanding of my life and how so many other things matter outside of just my sphere of the world and try and take that lens into a lot of different components of my life and continue with my involvement with organizations that have positive impacts and that I'm passionate about. That was beautiful, Brett. That seems to be a good conclusion for the conversation. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely no worries. Thank you for having me.